sustainability cannot just be something that you're doing on the side to cover up for all the bad things you're doing or all the emissions and so on. It has to be relevant. And uh, I think it's important also that my colleagues, uh, the organization understands that you know this is relevant for us as a company. Welcome to Redefiners, a podcast designed for daring leaders who are changing what it means to lead in today's increasingly complex world. I'm Nanas Motoshami, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds Associates. And I'm Clark Murphy, the former chief executive and also a leadership advisor. Nanas and I have spent our careers exploring what works and what's next in the realm of leadership. In each episode, we ask our guests deep and provocative questions about how they've challenged the norms and how they've redefined their organizations and ultimately themselves as leaders. Also, you can answer this one question. How are you redefining your leadership? Perhaps the boldest question yet. Conversations that matter. Inspiration for us all, whether you're kicking off your career or crafting your legacy. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Redefiners. I am really looking forward to talking with our guest today. He is a global agricultural business leader who is deeply passionate about promoting the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And obviously, it's quite timely that we talk to him today, given what's going on in the world with the food and energy crises. Clark, I'm excited to meet him and hear his views, particularly on sustainability. He's one of, I think, the first and most forward-thinking leaders, not only to talk about it, but to take action on this topic. And he arguably works in one of the dirtiest industries, right? So he really does need to do something. But I'm actually also keen to learn about the man behind the achievements and understand what's driven his passion and where that stems from. Passion is a great word. He's genuinely excited about food, about agribusiness, about sustainability, and how he works with other industries. And he's like, how can, how can we do this together? I would call him a solutions-oriented person, plus he's an action-oriented person. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. Clark, please tell our listeners who we're speaking to today. Our guest is Sven Tori Holsetra. President and CEO of Yar International, the world's leading crop nutrition company with operations in over 60 countries. Sven is chair of the Food and Nature Program for the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. He's a member of the steering committee of Imagine Food Collective and a member of the Alliance of CEO Climate Leaders at the World Economic Forum. Sven, welcome to Redefiners. Honored to take part. It's a podcast that I listen to as I'm uh, running. So now to be uh, part of it is something I've been looking forward to. Fantastic. So Sven, before we get into your role at Yara and how you became CEO, I want to take us back a little bit and start with the early days. Um, And I'm going to jump straight into it because I've had a look at your LinkedIn profile. I'm going to ask, how on earth does someone who's born in Norway go to school in Utah? Of all places, was it the skiing that drew you? <laughs> well, well, that too. But um, this really started uh, back in 1986. I was 14 years old and grew up in a rather small town in Norway, and that was my first uh, trip to the United States. And uh, you know, the, the difference with what I was used and what I saw when I came to the U.S. it made such a huge uh, impression on me, both from you know cultural perspective, but also the dynamism and and how technologically advanced the U.S. was compared to what I was used to at the time. So I decided. I need to get back here as soon as possible. And as soon as possible for me was when I finished high school and I could start at university. 
and also, you know, growing up in not only in Norway, but I grew up in, in Lillehammer, Norway, which is uh, the Olympic uh, city uh, and uh, and skied 100 days a year. So, so, of course, that was also part of yeah. the equation. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was right. It was the skiing. <laughs> you were right uh, about that part. Yes. Uh, and um, so uh, Utah, University of Utah ticked all these boxes. Did you come from a very international family or were you one of the first to study outside of Norway? Well, I was the first one to go to university as well in my family. Oh, uh, so okay. uh, I was really fortunate to, to be given that opportunity mm. compared to, to my father, who at uh, age uh, 15 uh, went out to be a, a sailor, worked on a ship for, uh, for three years straight, uh, and then had to take his education part-time when he came back and, and did really well. But uh, it is something that we shouldn't take for granted. And even if Norway today is a very wealthy yeah. country, we don't have to go far back in history where things were very different. So it's, uh, it's really fortunate. Sven, as you've worked across several industries and now obviously as CEO of YAR International, you're so well known and uh, vocal about sustainability and action. In fact, I, th I think we talked about in uh, in the book Sustainable Leadership, about appointing a, a COO so that you could be more externally focused. Um, was there any defining or redefining moment in your career, because you were in mining and chemicals and consumer products and manufacturing, was there any moment where you said, this is my passion and this is the, the moment we have to focus on sustainability? I started in Yara in uh, September 2015. With Yara, we produce a product, mineral fertilizer, uh, which is responsible for half of the world's food production. With mineral fertilizer, we can help farmers to produce more food. And uh, with that uh, product comes a lot of responsibility as well that we need to deliver this. Because if we don't deliver on our purpose as a company, uh, famine uh, will be the um, result. And uh, I was able to go to uh, the COP, uh, the, the climate conference in, in, in Paris in December uh, 2015. And we put together a, a quite interesting uh, combination We're going into that uh, a think tank. Yara together with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, with then uh, our, our, our minister, Berge Brende, who is now the, the president at the World Economic Forum. And we were going to go there and talk about food because we thought that would be interesting given the, the, the footprint of agriculture, 30% of greenhouse gas emissions from, from agriculture. And uh, when we had one of these uh, sessions there to talk about uh, food, no one came. But still being in, in, in Paris and uh, walking around the, the area of the negotiations, uh, seeing the youth engagement, the demonstrations uh, in front of the buildings, uh, the fact that business was getting involved, it made a huge impression on me. And I, I understood that uh, everything I had thought about our strategy forward would change as a result of this. I also saw what it meant not to be prepared. And at that point, uh, the energy industry it came into that not prepared for uh, for what would hit them. And to try to have a reactive strategy on this is, uh, is, isn't very helpful. And um, I made the decision then that we need to think completely different. We need to be a step ahead of this. So I went back to the board and said, we have a strong foundation, but everything will change. We, we, we need to think about the, the climate in context of our, our business model. And that was the start of a, 
a journey for our company that lasted about a year uh, to uh, redefine everything. We, we ended up with a new mission, a new vision, new values, and a strategy built on the sustainable development goals with broad involvement in the organization and, of course, several discussions with the, with the board as well. So it was truly uh, a redefining moment for me as a, as a leader. Did the board in the initial discussions question, push back, have any uncertainty? What was the nature of the support or the education you needed as a chief executive with the board? Well, we had to spend time to, to fully understand what this meant for our industry and what it meant for us as a, as a company and uh, how that would change how we produce our products and how we sell them, but also explain that, uh, you know, sustainable development goals aren't a barrier to business. It's, it's an enabler. And uh, for us as a, as a company, we had actually come quite far in uh, already at that point to decarbonize our uh, production, but we're not really seeing f full the, the business opportunities uh, connected with this. And then I, I had the uh, fortunate situation that I could pull on, uh, on friends as well to help me. I started to look at which company has fully understood this, which business leader understands uh, sustainability and how that can be embedded into the, into the business model. That answer turned out to be much uh, clearer and easier to find than I expected. Uh, it was uh, Unilever hmm. and Paul Pullman. Hmm. So I contacted Paul and then he shares his experience on, on how he did this in, 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 in Unilever. And, and I mean, he's a great leader. So he shared willingly and rather than reinventing the, the wheel, I took a lot of inspiration. So I joined them into the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, into the Business and Sustainable Development Commission, World Economic Forum CEO Climate Leaders. We did Food and Land Use Coalition together. Now we're working together in the Imagine Food uh, Collective. So it's gone from, say, a mentorship to, to now a friendship, really. So it's about learning from others and uh, just copying as well. You shouldn't be ashamed of copying uh, what others have, have done, but also finding what works in our uh, industry as well. And I would assume if no one came to the food presentation in 2015, it is extremely busy in the food discussions in this world today. Absolutely. It's... Uh, uh, and unfortunately, with a very tragic uh, backdrop uh, now with uh, world hunger moving in the wrong direction, every four seconds, a human being dies from hunger. Yeah. It is unacceptable. It's tragic and also avoidable. And, 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 and that's something that uh, we really need to work hard at, uh, at, at solving. Uh, it is within our powers to, to do something about it and, and uh, everyone should do whatever they can to contribute. Uh, this is, um, uh, uh, we just have to keep on pushing to take away that tragic suffering that is happening right now. You can't have a purpose-driven company that launches into such success unless there was a foundation of who you wanted to be and how to get there. You actually wrote a book uh, to articulate to everyone in the company who Yara could be and should be, which I have to think was the foundation for this moment of, of rethinking the leadership structure. Can you talk a little bit about your arrival and that book and that setting that foundation for the company? Yes, and, and this was an important 
part of it, Clark, uh, that, uh, you know, how do we bring the entire organization with us on this um, journey? Because that's really the, the only way if we have all our 18,000 employees uh, supporting that uh, mission. And uh, in order to, to get there, we went back in our history and we asked ourselves the, the question, why do we exist as a company? Uh, and, and, and that should be our purpose. Uh, and the very start of our company was the modern production of uh, fertilizer. Mm -hmm. uh, that was 1905. Uh, Europe was facing famine. And uh, science had to step up and figure out how do we produce mineral fertilizer at scale. And, uh, and that was invented uh, here in Oslo by our founder, Professor Birkeland. So part of what we're doing is, is to grow more food for a growing population. So first part of our mission is to responsibly feed the world. And then we added and protect the planet. So it's, it's about uh, growing more food, but doing that uh, sustainably. Mm -hmm. But we have to explain that. How is that relevant for the core of what we're doing? And uh, that's where, where I, I thought it was very important that we bring in everyone uh, on the shop floor as well. So this is relevant to what they uh, what they do. And they, they, they really felt that. And then we made a book uh, with focus on our colleagues uh, and how they work on this every day, explaining the, the stories around this. And I wanted this to really be a personal thing. And I couldn't meet all our 18,000 employees, but we, we put this together in, in, in a booklet. And then uh, as a sort of a handshake from me to our, every employee, I decided that, okay, I'm going to sign all of these 18,000 books myself uh, wow. uh, uh, as, uh, as well. I, I didn't do them math on that, uh, how, how big a task that uh, that was. And I, I, I had a, a moment where I was thinking maybe I should shorten my name or something to make this uh, this easier. Uh, but uh, I, I, I did it. And, uh, you know, it's not that it's such an impressive task to, to sign in, uh, 18,000 books, but it's uh, the, the impact that it had. And right now, I, I think we could challenge pretty much uh, any company on our employees' ability to tell what our purpose is and mm. the strength of that when people know the purpose, that's how we got through COVID. That's how we're dealing with a very complex situation in, in the food system right now because our employees understand why. And some of the discussions that I'm having around the world with board members in particular, and they say, how do we start? What are the obstacles? How do we get over the obstacles? And it's interesting to see Yara's clarity on who you are as a company and then the amazing things you're doing. And then other companies, who I won't name here now, who didn't get the purpose out in front and then faltered in either the product or the service or the process. I think that's one of the great lessons I had from our conversation is this certainty of clarity around the purpose of the company and then amazingly, the operations, whether it's restructured or not, tend to fall in place when there's clarity. I think it's a fantastic story on leadership. Sven, is that your secret sauce for getting the talent that you need to make sure that your sustainability efforts are moving forward? Because it's, it's, it's really hard to find sustainable leaders to run initiatives um, and to kind of think sustainably and pay it more than just lip talk. How have you been able to do that at Yara so successfully? Is, is the whole kind of putting the purpose and mission front and center part of the secret? Well, Nanasa, how, how much time do I have to answer it? <laughs> Go 
<laughs> no problem. Our listeners are all on a run right now, so they're just running. It's okay. No, uh, well, I, I think it's incredibly important that you explain how this is relevant to the core. Mm -hmm. Sustainability cannot just be something that you're doing on the side to cover up for all the bad things you're doing or all the emissions and so on. It has to be relevant. And, and, uh, and I think it's important also that the, uh, my colleagues, uh, the, the organization understands uh, that you know this is relevant for us as a company. It is an area where we can influence as well. And, uh, and I think it's key both to retain talent and to recruit, but also you know, going the extra mile when, when, when you have this clarity of the purpose. Uh, reality has changed a lot up through the years as well, that uh, people want to work in, in, in companies that are purpose-driven. Uh, mm -hmm. Who goes to work just for a, a paycheck? Mm -hmm. uh, well, we actually do pay our employees in, in the audit as well, but it's, it's, it's more uh, more than that, uh, you know, uh, the, the reality today is that we're connected almost uh, all the time, whether it's through emails and mobile phones, where, uh, you know, it's much more blurry what is uh, work and what is uh, free time now. Uh, so, so, so if you can only justify the work that you're doing because of the paycheck, I don't think you, you, will, you will not be able to retain or uh, recruit, but if it's meaningful, something where you see that you can have an impact, where your product is part of uh, uh, helping uh, farmers to produce more food, to reduce uh, famine, to reduce poverty, I think it's a very strong uh, force. We'll be right back to our conversation with Sven after a quick break with Sarah Galloway, a managing director in our London office and co-leader of our global sustainability sector. Sarah delves into the transformational power of moonshots. Mark Twain famously said, necessity is the mother of taking chances. And almost no topic inspires more passion, urgency and necessity from stakeholders as the drive for sustainability. To achieve this, the world needs more daring decision makers and innovators who recognise that the transformation needed to make real progress will not happen through incremental improvements to business as usual. Instead, it will require bold, sustainable leaders who push their organisations towards exponential change and business model innovation. We call these leaders moonshotters, executives who are committing to bold action and disruptive innovation without necessarily knowing what the exact solution is or how they'll get there. But they're not just making things up as they go, not at all. Moonshotters build a powerful story and leverage big, visible projects that people can get behind. They employ analysis, research and calculation in their moonshots, underpinned by an urgent understanding that there is much greater risk in not going for it. They challenge traditional approaches and are willing to disrupt their business and their industry. Moonshotters cut through bureaucracy to find solutions that do away with the trade-off between profitability and sustainability. And they resist being a 100 percenter, those who try to get everything perfect before they launch, because they know that perfect is the enemy of good. As Adidas CEO Kasper Rorsted put it, great athletes don't play to not lose, they play to win. If you'd like to learn more about moonshots and how you can turn your sustainability promises into tangible action, check out Sustainable Leaders by Clark Murphy, available in print, digital and audiobook. And now back to our conversation with Sven. Sven, you've written about rebuilding trust 
as a key part of the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And actually, you've said it, it should be goal number 18. Why is trust so critical when it comes to sustainability and climate change? Because we're getting around to, to make these changes way too late. Um, in 1979, the so-called Charney Report actually explained with the scientific uh, proof that uh, if we didn't change the trajectory on uh, emissions, what is right now happening to the climate would be a reality. And yet, even with that report and with a lot of passionate people trying to convey this message, we, we haven't done much as the world yeah. in these last few decades. So what would have been possible in the early 1980s with a bit of tweaks here and there individually, we're, we're long past that now. So the mm -hmm. only way to get this done is uh, through uh, a complete transformation of uh, societies and, and, and industries. And uh, we need to do that in collaboration, full value, value chains. It, it doesn't help if uh, only uh, Yara reduces its emissions if you're not able to work through the value chain to help the farmers reduce their emissions, to, to work together with food companies and retailers and, and consumers. How do we think of this in, in totality? But then we're up against uh, one, a huge challenge on, on how do we do that at scale and uh, how do we do it in a way that is, uh, is, isn't cost prohibitive. Uh, and, and, and then we need to have the value chain uh, approach, making sure that uh, we link consumers with the, with, with, with the producers. And then in order to get there, we need trust. And unfortunately, we live in a world uh, that is uh, short of just uh, just that. So, so we need to find the coalition of the willing to get started somewhere to show what is uh, uh, possible. But we're not going to be able to get this done at scale and fast enough unless we, we focus a lot on trust and building that. Yeah. You talk about the uh, value chain from a farmer to the retailer. Heineken talks about from barley to the bar in terms of the value creation. We were facing enough food crises to begin with, and now the invasion in the Ukraine has made it so much more dramatic. You know, the, the, the food system has historically done a pretty good job at reducing uh, hunger, if you look at uh, the realities, uh, at least up until 2020, over decades, uh, world hunger has been reduced uh, significantly. Uh, but uh, what we didn't take into account was the climate cost of this, the emissions. Uh, we didn't understand how vulnerable the supply chains were when they were tested uh, during uh, COVID. And we didn't understand how politically exposed these uh, food uh, systems were, either when you look at the uh, how much uh, the world relies on, on Russia when it comes to food production, uh, on uh, inputs, raw materials to, to fertilizers. And when Russia goes to war on Ukraine, uh, which is all a major food producer, uh, it, it demonstrates how uh, challenging this is. And it comes very close to us because on February uh, 26, uh, on day three of the war, a missile hit the, the building where our people were working in Kiev. Uh, so to see the Yara logo, on a building that has a huge hole in it, it, it becomes very mm. real. Uh, fortunately, none of our employees were physically harmed because of this, but it, it, it's, it, it made a huge impression. It's tragic and, and difficult uh, to, to see. And at the same time, you know, as our colleagues 
are sitting in makeshift bomb shelters uh, in Ukraine. We also have to defend that we have significant sourcing in, in Russia. Mm. How do we do this? So, so, so what we chose to do is to be super transparent. Same message internally as externally, mm -hmm. trying to explain how global the food system is, the impact of disruptions uh, there, and but also openly discussing the dilemma that uh, on the one hand, we have employees in a desperate situation in, in Ukraine. We see the, the Ukrainian people, what they're going through, all the implications of the war. And at the same time, we're buying raw materials from, from Russia. That, that's a very challenging uh, dilemma. But we need to also think about uh, the impact on, on famine across the world. Yeah. But also, let's uh, think phase two, uh, a phase two where we take away this weapon from, from Putin as well and uh, build a more resilient uh, food system uh, and uh, you know we, we've had to make huge changes to our supply sourcing from other places than, than russia and then back to our organization what, what they have been able to do both in shifting uh, raw material purchases but also with the energy situation in in europe if, if i've been asked if it was even close to possible to do what they have been doing in, in terms of keeping production going in Europe. I, I, I never thought it would be possible, but yet they're stepping up, they're going the extra mile and are able to do this. You've talked a lot about um, the, the power of partnerships and in a two-part question. The first, as I recall, you said you would focus on your own a number of years ago, methane emissions around uses of ammonia and production of fertilizer. And when you had your house in order, you would then go to your suppliers and then ultimately an ecosystem that involves mayors shipping and Copenhagen airports and the government of Singapore, Keppel bunkering. Can you talk a little bit about your approach to faster progress through ecosystems? Sure. So uh, it, it is important that uh, we do whatever we can internally first. And uh, if I look at uh, what we've been able to do in our company since uh, 2005, it's already uh, reducing emissions by uh, by about 50 percent. Uh, and uh, I said half j joking uh, here that, uh, you know, if, if Yara was a country, uh, I could lean back and say that we, we've, we've done our part of the Paris Agreement. Uh, but uh, the thing is, we're, 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 we're not a country. And the world is not on track, as we see from the United Nations as well. But in a way, the first 50% are much easier than the next 50%, yeah. because that requires change of technologies and also uh, enabling uh, farmers to get paid for sustainability as well. So, so then, then comes the, the, the phase where we need to think full uh, value chains uh, and uh, show what we can do with our products and solutions to reduce emissions uh, further. This is doable, uh, but it, uh, it it requires a different way of working where we have to be much more externally oriented, but it also opens up opportunities. Who would have thought that five, six years ago that uh, Yara would be uh, stepping into the energy sector, which we can with uh, utilizing uh, green ammonia that were, uh, or blue ammonia that were we can produce and that that could be this the zero emission uh, fossil free potentially fuel for the shipping sector as mash and other leaders in the industry are looking to decarbonize 
uh, their value chains and, and, and their ships. Uh, we have an infrastructure built to serve the fertilizer industry, but it could take on a different role, enabling the hydrogen economy. So, so there, uh, this also opens up business opportunities. Uh, and, and then we need to recognize that and drive that with, with, with force. So, so it's, you know, you have to do everything you can internally and then you turn around also and see what can we do in in partnerships and and then that opens up new and exciting uh, chapters for us as a company Sven, we can carry on and on and on on this topic thank you for your wonderful insights we do like to end each podcast um on a slightly different note with some rapid fire questions are you ready i'll i'll do my best <laughs> okay question number one what are the books that you're reading now I'm reading one book several times, and that's um, Saving Earth, which really is a story about uh, the opportunity that we had back in 1979 with the Charney uh, report uh, mm-hmm. and some key learnings, uh, uh, key learnings from uh, from that. And then I also read books uh, about um, diversity and how to bring diversity into the workplace. Second question: Do you have a hidden talent that we should know about? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a talent, but but I, I do enjoy uh, running, and it turns out that I can uh, run for extended periods of time uh, more than I thought possible. <laughs> What's the longest run this year? Well, actually, um, well, I, I've been on runs lasting up to thirty-eight hours, but uh, I, I participated in the um, ah. Norwegian Championship for uh, twenty-four hour running in November last year, and uh, actually won my class from uh, age forty-five to forty-nine. Though, <laughs> in that, uh, happy that I'm in the men's uh, class because uh, if I'd been in the in the women's uh, class, I would not have won. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. Um, if it couldn't be Norway, where in the world would you want to live? Tokyo. Hmm. Fantastic. Next question. Do you have a morning ritual? Coffee. <laughs> and the last question. If you could have an extra hour of free time every day, how would you use it apart from running? Well, it's an easy answer. Is spend more time with, with family. Well, my my daughter just finished the 40-mile run called the Teton Crescent, which is all the tops of the mountains in the Tetons, uh, which she just ran. I think you need to run the Teton Crescent next year, okay? (laughs) That's your challenge. I heard about it. It's a a super nice one. It's on the the list. There you go. Well, Sven, thank you for making time for us and for the inspiration of transforming companies to make sure the world is better fed, responsibly fed, and then partnering with others to launch into new businesses you probably had no idea you would be launching someday. In fact, you looked at how you produce and sell food as an enabler for the company, not an obstacle when thinking about the SDGs. And you worked with others, you learned from others. We talk often about LQ and the learning quotient, where you turned mentorships into friendships and thinking how you could be a better leader and learning from others. And as you say, don't be ashamed to copy Everyone can learn, but we also need to copy to move things forward ahead. There's no shame in copying. And sustainability is core to the success of your business. And that core of sustainability is how you recruit and retain talent, and more importantly, how the talent goes the extra mile. That you'll take the weapon of food away from Putin, working with your industry, with farmers, with the value creation, the supply chain, to say that will be the weapon of success not of defeat, 
that food will be the way we take care of the world, not hold them hostage. When it came to emissions and sustainability, you made a very public statement that you would get your own house in order first, and then we went to the value creation from the farmers to the retailers to say, how will we look at everything we do to make it more successful? And finally, I think that one of the greatest lessons here that every business should learn, people ask us all the time, is sustainability a hindrance? You've created a new revenue stream because of the ammonia used in your production to now create clean ammonia and clean hydrogen as fuel for shipping. So this concept of looking for yet new opportunities as you rethink how sustainability affects your business, reducing the obstacles, trust your people, and think about disruptive innovation. Wow. <laughs> Sven, you're a great defining leader for us, and thank you for joining us on Redefiners. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely, and enjoy running while you listen <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiners. For more dynamic insights from leaders from across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more or get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com. Find us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at RA on Leadership. See you next time. Do you have a question on leadership, career development, joining a board, or other topics you'd like to ask one of our consultants? Well, now's your chance. Send us your question. Email us at redefiners at russellreynolds.com for an opportunity to have your question answered on the podcast by one of our experts. See you next time on Redefiners.